are we here in this time? This place? What are we made for? Our lives have purpose. God has a calling for each one of us. General. Specific. In our families, our workplaces, our church, our city, our country, our world. Clarity in our calling. Purpose in our present. Our great God is offering us something beautiful. One of the things we do every church in person or every church at home is that we spend some time looking at God's Word. At the heart of that, what's so great about that is God's Word is a revelation to us of who God is and how He operates. It's so easy for us to project onto God what He should be like and with our limitations, put those limitations on God. For example, uh, I can only multitask so much. I've I do much better when I can focus on just a couple of things, and I think that's true for a lot of people. But those limitations don't apply to God. He doesn't have any limitations when it comes to capacity. God can be thinking about everything that's going on in the world at one time and care for that. Even though there's seven plus billion people in our world, God has the capacity to think about and care for each one of us individually and love us in that way. David got a hold of that in Psalm 139 when he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Think about that someday when you're maybe at a, on the ocean and on the, on the coastline. Put your hand through the sand and just think about every grain of sand. God's thoughts to you are just that much. But even more boggling beyond, beyond that, God has the capacity to think about groups of peoples. And so God is thinking about church and how we group ourselves in church. God is thinking and cares about, he sees and he's concerned about our groupings in families, our groupings in work. And we saw last week, God is concerned and he sees about our groupings of people in cities. And today we're going to look at calling and country because God sees us as people grouped into countries. And when you look and read uh, scripture from that perspective, which we're going to do a lot today, you'll see that that is everywhere. So let me set the table for us. We're going to see that God recognizes nations, God directs nations, and God responds to nations. So first of all, God recognizes nations. Hey, when I read through the Bible and you see how God speaks to the nation of Israel, you also see that there's also a lot of ink that is spilled in addressing the other nations in the world. You know, when I go through a reading plan through the year, sometimes I'll be reading and it gets to these parts that it just bogs down a little bit for me. Like Isaiah, for example, the first few chapters are great, then you get to chapter 13 and Isaiah begins to speak to other nations, the nation of Babylon, the Philistines, Cush, the Moabites, etc., the Egyptians. And I'm thinking, oh, like, what does this have to do with me today where I live and the stresses and challenges that I'm facing? Now dig a little deeper and you see that there are things to be learned from what God speaks to those nations. But my point is this. God recognizes the nations. They matter to, the, to him and so he speaks to them. God recognizes the nations and God directs the nations. 
Now, I think if you look around today, you can see in our world that one, in, one nation has the capacity to influence other nations. It's crazy, like when I was in Iraq, seeing a person with a Beyonce t-shirt on a local. Um, American music and culture has been a popular export for decades. The Japanese have influenced the world and how they, uh, in their use of technology and promoting the way that we automate our lives. Military powers uh, that have influence over nations and the borders that we have and the alliances and even our economies. We tend to look at nations from this natural perspective of what's going on. But from scripture's point of view, the nations, their rise and their fall ultimately is determined by God. This does not mean that God condones everything a nation does and what their leader does. What it does mean is that God is able to take the free choices of human beings and ultimately use it for his plan and purposes. Now, I, I don't know this about you, but I'm guessing that you and I, we can't direct a nation. So if we were to call up right now the leader of our country, chances are we're not, we're not gonna get through. We can't direct a nation, our nation directs us. But it's a little different when it comes to God and the influence and power of a nation in relationship to him. Listen to what Isaiah says. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Listen to this. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Isaiah goes on, it is he, speaking of God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? God, in, in comparison to the nations, is all-powerful, and the nations are as nothing to him. It is he who causes a nation to rise and a nation to fall. We see that God places nation, directs them, and plants them where they are. In Acts chapter 17, we read, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God places nations, God's direct nation, God directs nations. We see in Isaiah again when uh, the nation of Israel needed to be disciplined, God used the, the nation of Babylon to come and, and carry them away as captives into exile. But when Babylon's time of power was fulfilled, God sent another nation and raised up the Medes and the Persians. And so they, um, they took power over Babylon. And, and amongst those Medes and Persians, God took the Persian ruler Cyrus and he used Cyrus, even though Cyrus didn't have a relationship with God, God used him for his purposes. 
So we see God says to him, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. God recognizes nations. God directs nations. God also responds to nations. It's important to know that nations have a characteristic that's um, unique to them. There may be perspectives, a way of living, um, activities that really define a nation. They have a culture. They have a personality. And whether for good or evil, they are responsible in how they live out their lives as a nation before God. And so often, unfortunately, we see in the writings of the prophets that nations are living in a way that's a rebellion against God and wickedness, and God holds them to account. He prophesies to them judgment. Happens so often, unfortunately. We see, for example, in Isaiah speaking to Egypt, and I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each against another and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out and I will confound their counsel and they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers. And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master and a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. So God responds to the nations when they're wicked, God will punish them. But here's what I love about the nature of our God. God plans to redeem the nations. A little later in in Isaiah, in the same chapter, God says this to Egypt. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. God recognizes the nations. God directs the nations. God responds to the nations, and it is his plan to redeem them. God is a God of redemption. Fast forward to where we are today, and by faith in Jesus Christ, every one of us can enter into God's redemptive plan. We can be placed into God's family, into his kingdom as citizens, new citizens of a new nation. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Looking at that new citizenship that we are part of a holy nation, a natural question that might arise is, well, if that's so, should I care at all about the country that I live in here? To be specific, should I care about my country Canada and its direction, or is that all canceled out because of Christ? It's interesting as you look at the scriptures and, for example, at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, how it still recognizes nations and their distinctiveness. We read in Revelation chapter 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits 
on the throne and to the Lamb. And then we see at the very end of Revelation when the city of God comes down and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Chris Wright in his book, The Mission of God, says, the inhabitants of the new creation are not portrayed as a homogenized mass or as a single global culture. Rather, they will display the continuing glorious diversity of the human race through history. People of every tribe and language and people and nation will bring their wealth and their praises into the city of God. So while 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about how we are part of a superior nation uh, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, that does not annihilate the fact that you and I live today here on earth and are part of a nation that we reside in. Being part of that superior citizenship in God, though, helps me to, to look at nations from a different framework. From God's perspective, we are all equal and we are all valued by God. And in Christ, we all have the same access into a relationship with him. This is what Galatians chapter 3 is talking about when it says there is no longer Jew or Gentile. At the same time, in my citizenship as a new, new kingdom member of God, I can value and I can, um, I can look at this distinctiveness in our nations and our nationalities today and see them with great value it's like a, a variety of flowers make a bouquet, a flower arrangement so much more beautiful. It's like harmonized notes make a song so much richer than a single note. So should I care about my country and the direction that it's going? Well, I'm wearing red today. The answer must be yes. Now, I can just hear some of the, the voices in, maybe in some of your heads thinking, you know, hey, like, Tim, you talked about multitasking earlier. Like, I don't have enough space in my mind and my heart to care about something beyond even my family right now. Like, with COVID-19 and all that's going on, getting my kids to school or home at, from school, doing school at home, it's just, it's just too much to think beyond just the immediate what's pressing on me right now. Or, you know, I've got difficulty in my business. I'm looking after that. You want me to think beyond that and think about my country and what's good for it? Yeah, no one said it would be easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. As a citizen of heaven, knowing that God recognizes nations, that God directs nations, that God responds to nations and plans to redeem nations. As a citizen of heaven, I want to do everything I can to be an ambassador for that reconciliation, that redemption. As a citizen of heaven, that should make me a, a better citizen of Canada. So last week we saw how location is part of God's call on our lives. So where I live, God has placed me with significance and purpose. I want to live my life caring for my city and living so that it will be blessed. And so in the same way, I want to live my life caring for my nation and doing so in a way that it will be blessed. And I know that as a nation walks closely in the ways of God, that's where it's going to find blessing. You'll be familiar with our Canadian national anthem, and in that first verse, towards the end of it, it says this, O oh God, keep our land glorious and free. O oh Canada, we stand on guard for thee. O oh Canada, we stand on guard for thee. So how do we do that? 
How do we stand on guard for Canada? I'm going to give us four things, and some of them will be fairly simple, so that if, if you feel like, oh, I'm already overwhelmed, you'll be able to step into some of these things fairly easily. First of all, we need to pray. We need to honor and submit to authority. We need to influence through democracy and then live out your dual citizenship. So we begin with prayer. And if you watched last week or were in, uh, at church in person last week, hey, this sounds familiar because... It is. Um, In the Bible, when God repeats something over and over again, it's because it's important. And throughout scriptures, we find that God is both showing by example and by his commands that we are to call out to him in prayer. He wants us to do that so that he can respond to our prayers and move on behalf of those prayers on a nation. Most of us are familiar with the familiar verses in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 where it says, if my people will humble themselves and pray. And then God says he'll hear and he'll respond. He'll forgive. He'll heal the land. Today, we don't exist as a theocratic nation like Israel did. And even though in Canada we had founding fathers that some of them ascribed to the Christian faith, it is different for us. However, I do believe that God does hear the prayers of his people. In the early centuries, early church father Origen in the third century, when he was responding to the critique that why don't Christians participate in the Roman military? Why were they against it? Origen said, hey, uh, the prayers of God's people for Rome, for the empire, will achieve much more for the welfare of the empire than any number of soldiers or military conquests. My friend and author and and prayer facilitator, coordinator, Sarah Maynard, wrote a book called Mantles, Canadian Mantles of Revival. And in it, she documents these movements of God that have occurred in Canadian history. Every one of them is precipitated by prayer. I'm excited to to say that, hey, in in the new year, in January, we're going to call ourselves as a church to 21 days of prayer. But we can step into prayer for our nation right now. So maybe a a mom and dad, you're going to the store or taking your kids to the school. You're all in the car together. What would it take to ask the question, hey, kids, how can we pray for our country today? Or which leader in our country do you want to pray for today? Imagine if all of us, after we've watched or heard the news, if we just took a few moments to pray for the people that have come up in the news and the situations that are articulated there. If my people will humble themselves and pray, God will hear. We need to pray. Secondly, we honor and we submit to authority. Now, I know nowadays there's a lot of cynicism around politics and skepticism around leaders, and and I get that. The New Testament writers were very familiar with government that was not ideal and sometimes even uh, oppressive, but listen to what they wrote. Paul wrote, In Romans chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Peter wrote, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. They recognize governments aren't perfect. But the reason that we honor government leaders and we submit to their authority is not for their sake so much as it is for God's. Because God ordained these offices and he's put these people somehow into power and will use them. And so because of the office, we honor and we submit. We see that in the story of David when although he knew he would be king, 
as he is being pursued to be killed by the king Saul, he has this opportunity actually to kill Saul, but he chooses not to do so, recognizing that Saul occupies God's anointed office. As citizens of heaven, we submit and we honor those in authority. We are better citizens here in Canada. Thirdly, we influence through democracy. Now, this is where it gets tricky because Christians are often divided in this area as we begin to talk just a little bit about politics. Jesus never seized political power, took advantage of politics when they wanted to make him king. He did not do that, use that to further his purposes. We see in the early church, they referred to themselves as exiles, people who are on the margins of power. And nowhere do we see the New Testament you know, advocating for Christians to organize themselves and, and form a political organization so that they can enforce God's laws and God's ways on other people. However, today, we do live in a different environment than first century Christians. We live in a democratic environment, and I think it is wisdom to use the opportunity that we can to influence our nation for good. We read in Proverbs chapter 14, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That word righteous, righteousness there is not referring to an individual right standing with God. It's referring more to a nation, any nation, that reflects the, the principles of God and his character in, in the way that that nation generally operates. I think when we look at Canada, we can truly say there are some good ways in which Canada reflects the righteousness of God. I think of our stance towards immigration, the welcoming of the stranger, that reflects the heart of God. I think of how we take care of our vulnerable, the, the poor and also the, the elderly. We have safety nets for them. I think that that reflects the heart of God. We have a democratic system that says everyone is valuable just as God would say. Even in the world, we have a reputation as a country of being peacemakers, something that reflects God's heart of reconciliation. There's many good things in Canada that reflect the righteousness of God. But as I think of our country as a whole and our culture and our government, I think there are also things that concern me. I think about, first of all, racism and both past and present that still exist and things that need to be done there. I think about abortion. We currently have no laws regarding abortion in our country today. And every year, 80,000 to 100,000 babies are being killed, not by their choice, but by someone else's choice. I think of some of the cultural bent and pending legislation around sexuality that is in direct opposition to God's plan and purposes for our lives. Some of these things are, are very concerning. And, and I want, and I hope that you would want our country to move more and more in a direction that aligns itself with God's way so that we can be a blessed nation. I need to influence my country in every way I can through the democratic process to make that happen. I think on a very simple way, it begins by exercising our democratic right to vote. So I would advocate be an informed voter. Do the best you can to find out what candidates stand for, what their platform is, and, and whether or not most of what they say lines up with God's principles or not. No political party is going to be absolutely perfect in that way, but you, as best as possible, you want to try and be informed. Now, that is a bit of a challenge today because it's hard to find an unbiased perspective. Think of the U.S. if you've looked at all news stations like CNN and Fox. I mean, it's really difficult 
So I'd advocate, like, try to, try, try to watch or listen to interviews that are live or even debates and, and which can't be manipulated uh, near so much. Exercise the right to vote. And that may not be easy. Again, parties don't always represent perfectly God's kingdom and God's ways. But we can ask for God, for wisdom in this situation and vote accordingly. Beyond that, what else can we do? Well, for some of us, I think it's important to know that communicating with our government leaders has impact. Every time you write a letter or correspond with a government leader on an issue that you are concerned about, you need to know that that matters. They know that if a person has taken the time to correspond with them, it represents so many other voters that probably have the same perspective. We can use our democratic opportunity to do that. Beyond that, some of you may want to become involved in a, you know, a social cause that, where there's an organization that addresses a social cause that you're directly concerned about. It may even be to be involved in a political party. Now, for some of us, that may seem like, hey, we're pushing against the Anabaptist way. But I think of one of the greatest stories in the last 250 years for societal change to align itself with the righteousness of God. And I think of William Wilberforce and, and how he got involved in British Parliament, supported by like a community group of believers that wanted to make a difference in their country, that supported him as he relentlessly, year after year, worked towards the abolition of slavery. The idea that Religion or Christianity, if, if you ascribe to that, that you have no say in the public square, as we've talked about before, is a, is a false dichotomy. That sacred, secular split is a fallacy. And William Wilberforce used his democratic opportunity to leverage it for freedom for all. And we still feel the ripple effect of that in our world today. Lastly, live out your dual citizenship. So we can do what we can sort of in an, an exterior way in the democratic process, but real lasting change so often happens by what happens within. It's organic. If we want to see change in our country, if we want to see transformation, we have to make sure that it begins with us in here. Remember, the beginning of our calling is not to Canada. It's not to our city, if you live in Abbotsford. The beginning of our calling is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship, for him to transform the way that I live and the way that I think, and that will flow out into my family. It'll flow out into my workplace. And as people see that, as they rub shoulders with Christian after Christian that are living in the light of, of their citizenship of God's kingdom, it has the potential for massive impact. One by one by one, as we say yes to Jesus in every sphere that he has called us into. Canada needs revival. And that has to begin within me and you, begin in our church, and then spill out into the community in which churches are, and then into our nation. So that we can say, oh God, keep our land glorious and free. Canada, we stand on guard for thee. I want to finish this time together really by quoting to you one of the further verses of our Canadian National Anthem, which really is a prayer that as we as citizens of heaven think about our country here, Canada, we can surely pray. Ruler supreme, who hears humble prayer, hold our dominion within thy loving care. Help us to find, O God, in thee a lasting rich reward as waiting for the better day we ever stand 
on guard. God bless you.